Hey, welcome back to another edition of the Five Tool Podcast. I'm Dustin McComas, joined once again, as always, by Drew Bishop. This is episode 74. Before we know it, we're going to be at 100, uh, which is, man, these things are flying by. And the time is flying by because we've got so many things going on uh, with the busy Five Tool calendar. Um, most recently, we had an academic showcase at St. Edwards University that we'll talk about. Uh, but there's a lot going on in the baseball world, too. A lot of baseball recruiting stuff going on in the high school side. The MLB All-Star Game was last night, the Home Run Derby. We've got the Five-Tool World Series coming up, which just came off the Mattingly. Uh, summer is a busy time uh, for baseball, which is great for us. Uh, first off, Drew, how are you doing? Um, you didn't drive to Melissa yesterday. You drove to uh, you drove to Austin, which was a bit different. Um, yeah. Didn't get pulled over a- on the way back or anything, did you? Didn't get pulled over um, and got to stay with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and got to eat at Matt's. So that was a win on Monday night. That was a win. There you go. Yeah. Any, any trip that can include that. How many bobs did you consume? Was it, was it over under one? (laughs) Uh, Right at one. Right at one to get your own, get your own crush there. What is, what is the order for you? Like, are you a guy like me that orders basically the same thing every time he goes to one of his spots? Yeah. I'm the the chicken quesadillas there are better than anywhere. You know, with a close second now uh, being Maria's and Melissa, which is crazy, but they are legit, but there's just something about the mats quesadillas or really anything that has cheese in it there so yeah they're, they're doing something that cheese but i'm probably not good for me but i will uh, not complain yeah yeah it's it's the one place i've ever gone and and like like the quesadillas were like like a v item you know like some people kind of really oh you went to a tex-mex place and get quesadillas what are you for but like <laughs> Well, let's let's just think about some of the things you eat anyways. Like an enchilada is like it's just basically a tortilla with a bunch of yeah. stuff on inside of it or whatever. But whatever they do with like the way they grill the meat and like all the yep. like the juices and stuff, oh, it, they're they're really really good. So I'm I'm that's my favorite item too. So I'm pleased to hear we're on the right page there. But yeah, anytime you can squeeze that in, that's that's definitely a good trip. But um, academic showcase wise, this is this is something that five tool we we take a lot of pride in and something we really like doing is showcasing an opportunity for standout academic players um, to, to show their talent and to show their talent and their skill and their ability in front of call it high academic institutions. You know, it's, it's hopefully this thing is kind of designed for, Hey, we know on the college side, if you're a big time academic program, recruiting can be a little tougher for you because Mm -hmm. When you go out and watch guys, you don't always know if they can actually get into your your school. You know, yeah. it's it's you don't want to go on the recruiting trail and run around and, and watch these guys and you're interested and you're spending all this time and resources and you get back. It's like, oh, well, this guy can't get in and this guy can't get in. And, and sure, you go watch some of these guys ahead of time knowing what their academic standing is, but you don't always know. Well, this setting, you know. You know these guys can get in. You know what they're about academically, so you don't have to sweat from the college side whether you can actually recruit these guys or not. And on the flip side for the players, it's a chance for them, you know, to get in front of colleges that really value um, that side. And it, it may be so for some of those, you know, colleges that, you know, we've had guys that play in our, our um, on our academic team in the five of the uh, Arizona fall classic, that end up going major D one. And those guys are a little bit more attractive to major D ones because they might be able to get some academic money and things like that. So we had it at St. Edwards university yesterday um, in the Austin area. Um, it was hot. How many players we have there about 45 or so 48, 48 players. Um, you know, a lot of 2023s, 2024s, a few 2025s in there as well. So uh, we'll kind of run through a couple of guys that, that caught our attention uh, you can go to five, at Five Tool GPA on Twitter, and we highlighted it was kind of some of the standout tools. Whether it was some guys with some noteworthy exit velocity, uh, BP rounds, um, you know, uh, bullpen sessions, throwing across the infield, outfield, whatever it was, uh, our Five Tool GPA account did a great job of kind of putting those guys out there. But uh, we'll kind of go through a couple of guys here and, and just kind of talk about some guys that maybe caught our attention as well. Um, was was Drew? Was there any one guy that that really just 
Um, you know, because what are you GM of the eight of the Arizona Fall Classic team? Like, are, are you the, the mastermind behind the roster here or, or how does that process go? Well, Ryan Brewer is the mastermind behind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we both work on the roster together, um, spend a lot of time going through uh, academic stuff with coaches, whether it's the summer league coaches or their high school coaches, collecting names and um, spend a lot of time sending out information to the college coaches. And we've got a nice little network of coaches that are interested in these events, you know, quite a few Ivy league schools, uh, as well as some other academic schools around the state and the region and really all across the country. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we had rice in attendance yesterday. We've had the Ivy league involved with quite a few of our events. Um, but yeah, it's been fun putting this together. I mean, it's just a whole different subset of kids for the most part. And, um, you know, I mean, actually shout out to, uh, our GPA team alum for committing to Texas yesterday, yeah. Kobe Minchie, uh-huh. Kobe Minchie was a guy that, you know, there was some potential for him to get drafted, but he threw for our senior team last year in the Arizona fall classic. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that was willing to kind of wait and bet on himself and not just jump on some of the, um, some of the, the offers that he'd gotten in the fall and, uh, ends up committing to Texas after the draft. And so that was a, a big day for him and his family. And it, it's good that he was able to, you know, follow some of the advice that we've talked about and that I've spent some time on with him and, you know, because I thought he had a, a really good chance. I thought he was going to have a chance to, to, uh, to really continue to improve and develop and the velocity took a, took a big, big jump and he bet on himself and ends up, down in Austin. So proud of him. Um, you know, like I said, we talk about it a lot. It's not an easy thing to do to wait like this, but he was able to do that. And, uh, it, it turned out, turned out well for him. Uh, but as far as yesterday, a couple of guys that came to mind, you know, one of our five tool alumni from last year's team, Cade Crawford from Stony point, Mm -hmm. um, just a really good looking athlete ran a six, seven, five through, 81 from the outfield. And there's a lot of good baseball ahead for Cade. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at the body and you can project a little bit of what he's going to continue to grow and look like in a couple of years. And, and the skill is there. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of him being more consistent with it, but um, you know, really, really looking forward to watching him grow and develop because there's a lot of good baseball in front of him. Um he had a he had a good performance yesterday. Justin Strong, uh, 2023 outfielder from um, from Elgin, had a good had a good day. Um, he ran a six six nine through eighty five from the outfield. Um, has unbelievable, G, yeah, an unbelievable uh, GPA. Uh, and then the guy that I thought made the most consistent loud contact at the plate uh, from Strake Jesuit was 2023. Um, third baseman outfielder from the 12, uh, Colin Sloan, mm-hmm. um, who had a really impressive day. Um, those, those are some of the guys that stood out. A couple of catchers were, um, had really good pop times. Chris Grimes from Klein high school, uh, got down to one nine, four, um, had two different throws under two flat. And then, uh, Carson Riley from Liberty high Liberty Hill high school, um, was right around that two mark also. So those were those are some of the uh, performances that impressed me, but there were quite a bit of guys that you could really see uh, are going to have a chance to play at some of these academic schools in the future. Yeah. Yeah. The catching side too. It's funny. I was sitting back there with a radar gun um, getting some velocity stuff and somebody asked me, Hey, what's a good, you know, velocity for a catcher. And I was like, man, once you kind of get above 80, like that's really noteworthy. And sure enough, the two guys you mentioned, I think we're right at that mark or slightly above it. Um, standout guys there. Both have some some pretty good BP rounds as well. Um, yeah, Justin Strong was going to be the first guy I mentioned just because of the noteworthy 60 time. I think he was in the 6-6 range. Um, switch hitter. The, the swings were, were good, especially the left-handed swing. I think he's a guy that um, thinner frame, he's going to grow into some more strength when he does that. The ball is going to come off the bat a little bit better, but just a promising swing the way it looked um the bp rounds and things like that um it was fun too because it was an opportunity for me i I saw a couple guys that i had seen during the high school season that that kind of caught my attention um lawrence lara from stony point um actually when i went to go see hank howard at vista ridge they were playing yeah Uh, lawrence lara was 
the only guy that really took really good at bats against Hank Howard. And we know what kind of pitcher Hank Howard is. Um, he barreled up the ball a couple times off of him in that game. And at our academic showcase yesterday, he actually hit a homer out to left center field, probably the farthest hit ball yeah. of anybody that day. Got up on the mound. I think he was up to 85 miles an hour on the mound. Two-way player, uh, competitive guy. I just, I've seen him pitch. I've seen him hit. Um, nothing really rattles him, um, as everybody is in this event, staying out an academic guy as well. So, uh, certainly intriguing two-way guy there. Tanner Jackson from Round Rock, um, was up to 86 miles an hour. I felt he probably had the best bullpen of anybody there yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. curveball stood out, um, change up, uh, a splitter too. Um, and, and kind of a true splitter, not a hard splitter, maybe more of a split change. Uh, yep. But I, I'm going to start calling Round Rock the splitter school because Travis Lepore <laughs> started throwing one. Tanner Jackson was throwing one. Um, Good-looking kid with good-looking arm. Threw some quality innings from Round Rock this past year. I think he's going to be a big part of what they do in the future. Uh, but kind of a guy that caught my attention on the mound there as well. Uh, and then going up the list here from the infielders, uh, Maurice Martinez Jr., actually a 2024 um, infielder from Thomas Edison High School. I thought had one of the better um, infield sessions with the glove. Yep. A uh, guy that's going to grow into some more impact uh, with his frame and things like that in the batter's box. Um, you know, the, the St. Edwards, you know, you, you get on grass and you can tell who can really field, um, you know, and who can, who's kind of naturally with the glove there. And he's one of those guys that caught my attention uh, with the glove as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Liam Richards, a 2023 outfielder from Lake Travis. Um, good looking kid physically. I know he's been a standout guy in the past for them defensively with what he's did there, but uh, just solid all around. Um, guy can kind of do a little bit of everything, looks great physically. Um, I think he's certainly going to be a guy that plays somewhere at the next level as well. But um, <clears throat> strong group overall, a lot of intriguing guys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably leaving off. Uh, where's my man? Oh, Ben Longoria from Austin Wesley, yep. uh, a guy I yep. saw in the high school season. Um he actually, I believe, had a walk-off hit, uh, if I remember right, against Lake Travis in the rivalry game. Um, just was a starting catcher for Westlake there. I think he's got a guy that um, looks to part physically. It's a guy that moves around well behind the dish. I think he's certainly got a chance to, to move on to the next level and, and catch some quality innings somewhere. So, um, yeah, strong group overall. Um, I, I know that, you know, we had a number of, of colleges in attendance there. And, uh, you know, the, the benefit of, of attending something like this uh, and being one of those colleges that works for us is, hey, we, we, you get the data. You get the 60s. You get the exit velocity. You get the, you know, the bullpen session, like all that sort of stuff. Uh, so kind of can go back and, and you know, kind of, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. And let's kind of look this up and things like that. And, and uh, for the kids, it kind of gets those tools out there into the hands of those college coaches. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely fun. It's funny. I was, I was just going back and scanning through some of the, uh, some of the ACT SAT scores that, that we have at this event, but there's quite a few over 1400, several over 1500, and we have a perfect ACT. We have uh, a perfect ACT. Yeah. So what, what is, what is perfect? Like 34, 36, or like? 36. 36. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So wow. it's, um, yeah. Um, that's pretty oh, good. Man. Well, <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, that's pretty um, much did, every we, door is open on the academic side when you have that sort of, that sort of score. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, our guy, Brendan Klein um, from Flower Mound is that perfect, perfect ACT score. Wow. So um, yeah, I, I did not do that. What, what did you get on the SAT? On the SAT? I, I didn't take the ACT on the SAT. I think I was, I think it was 1190 or 1210. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, I took it my early my sophomore year and I got uh -huh. a 12, 1220. Um, and Stanford said that was good enough at the time. So I shut it down. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, if they're, if Stanford, I think, uh, I think I'll be fine. So I, yeah. I, I shut it down after that. I'm not really sure. I didn't, I didn't do any prep classes or anything. So I was happy I did with that. One. Yeah. I was generally pretty good at taking tests. I think I was more skilled at that than I was actually intelligent. Um, <laughs> but I had to, unfortunately one time. So I think I, I was supposed to take it three times. Um, I had to take it again because I got a concussion football game Friday night and I took the SAT Saturday morning the next day. Oh man. Somewhere we played spring high school and somewhere there's a, a tape of Ronnie Palmer who went to Arizona 
um, mm-hmm. like six foot four linebacker. He's, I think he was a three-star recruit. Just made me do a helicopter in the air on, on a punt coverage deal. And uh, yeah, needless to say, I bombed the SAT the next day. And the other one, my mom had the audacity to sign me up. The Saturday, Texas played OU and Miami played Florida State. And I was like, no, oh. not not happening. Like, no. And sure yeah. enough, I think it was the year that OU won 63 to 10 and Florida State lost on a wide right. So I was like, well, Oof. I probably should have just went and taken the test as well. But, um, yeah, you look at through these GPAs here and stuff like that. I mean, these guys are the top of the top academically, but but definitely some guys that can play as well. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely some some noteworthy 2025s. Um, who's the big the big kid the 2025 that that ran a really good 60 um why am i forgetting his Stephen name clay yes 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 Stephen i mean clay that was a definite one like school. checks a lot of boxes to where that's going to be a guy i think that's got a real chance um to be on the d1 level probably i mean we know how d1s recruit now i mean they're already looking at those 2025s we'll talk about some guys later on on the recruiting side that made some, some commitments in the 2025 class, but uh, he certainly looked like he's, he's going to be, he's got a chance to be a dude um, in his class. And uh, you know, the academic side is, is going to open things up. But as we tell all those kids and, and, you know, if you're a parent or a player that's tuning in and it's like, man, I didn't get to go to this or, or whatever. Um, you know, one of the things that, that um, you know, Ryan Brewer talked about and it's something I try to hammer home a lot with these kids and something we've talked about at length when we were kind of doing our recruiting series with our podcast, which if you missed those, go to our page at five tool and just kind of circled uh, down to probably around like the, you know, 20th, 20th episode, 10th episode, something like that. We did a whole series of stuff like this, but uh, be proactive, Uh, be proactive, especially if you're a really strong academic kid, because you just don't know what types of doors are going to be open for you because you have that academic side. I mean, there's a lot of programs that can get you a lot of academic money that doesn't count towards their 11.7. It can kind of, you know, maybe you're getting, you know, maybe you're getting to a a program. You might not have thought that you had a chance to be at uh, because they say, Hey, we like the talent. We can get you in here because we don't have to get dip into our athletic money to help you there. So be proactive. Um, These coaches, you know, took time out to come to this deal, which we really appreciated, but they're all over the place. They're all over Texas. They're all over the region. They're all over everywhere. And they're trying to see as many guys as possible. And they just, they don't have the time to go sit at every game and figure out who you are and see you. And there are guys that played in our academic deal last year that weren't even on the radar of some programs. And then they got on that radar of those programs and that fit happened and commitment happened and things like that. So um, be really, really proactive, especially if you're on the academic side, because um, you can get an opportunity that maybe you thought wasn't there because you can get academic money and things like that. Yeah, the, one, one more before I, before we move on. Hunter, Hunter Trojic from um, from Midlothian Heritage is a guy that he took one of the best BP rounds yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, big physical kid. Uh, the one thing I liked about him is like it it can be hard sometimes in those show showcase settings um, to not try to do too much. Yes, and he just sat in there and took a really professional batting practice. You know, which wouldn't didn't surprise me um, having a dad that was a high school coach in the past, but. Yeah, that was my first time to see him hit live, and I was really impressed with him as far as just the round of BP he took. So mm-hmm. he's a guy that definitely has a chance to play at the next level as well. So, um, but you know, I guess what's what we got next? The draft? Yeah, the, the draft. draft. You know, we're we're big draft nerds, especially now that we actually have a uh, a list of players uh, for the state of Texas, and and I, I've always just been fascinated with the draft because I've always fancied myself a you know, kind of a wannabe scout when it comes to all this sort of stuff. But um, I, I thought it was going to be very unpredictable because I thought there were going to be maybe some more under slot deals and kind of people manipulating their bonus pool because of just kind of the gap in talent once you got through about seventh in the draft. And then just the void of college pitching. There there's just wasn't as much college pitching yeah, um, as there typically was. But uh, it didn't end up being – as unpredictable, although Kumar Rocker going third to your Rangers, I think definitely kind of sent some uh, some shockwaves through uh, through the baseball industry there, which they ended up getting him about two and a half million under slot, which then they were able to use potentially to get Brock Porter, who was like a top 20-ish talent that they got in the top of the fourth round because they had the money. So um, kind of some smart maneuvering there by the Rangers. But um, it ended up being a, uh, a, a very quiet draft on the Texas side for the amateur players, which we kind of expected. Um, 
we knew, I, I feel like, I don't know about you, you've, you've had more experience and knowledge of, of knowing what kind of price tags these guys set behind the scenes. But I feel like more and more high school players set their price and stuck to it and yeah. didn't budge uh, because you look at college baseball now um, with the popularity um, with how much pro organizations value college players, you know, in parentheses, use it as like free, basically training, you know, right. like free development right. that they right. don't have to pay for and they can get data on and, and minimize their risk and all that sort of thing. And that's an, another discussion, but um, they do definitely steer towards college guys um, for a reason and because of the data and the availability and, and the knowledge and the less risk, but also too, I think we're starting to see more guys that won't budge from their price and are totally okay um, going to college with the emergence of things like NIL happening. And, you know, I think that we're not too far away from maybe some increased scholarship money and, um, and, and just that they're seeing that all these college guys are going early in the draft and more college guys are getting drafted and being paid. I think they're saying, well, if, if you're not going to meet my price, I'm just going to go bet on myself. So um, Jet Williams went 14th overall to the Mets, number one on our five till 55. We expected him to go somewhere in the top 20 picks. It's just kind of been the, the buzz around him for a while now. Uh, so he ends up going 14th in the New York Mets. Um, you know, congrats to him, a guy that's, that's you know, really worked and worked and just a total baseball junkie. Um, you know, gets an opportunity to be a first round pick there at the New York Mets. And then uh, Cole Phillips, number two on our went, two on our list, went 57th overall in the second round to the Atlanta Braves. A guy that, you know, looked like a surefire first rounder or emerging as that type of talent uh, before needed Tommy John surgery. Still gets selected there in the second round. Um, still gets a great, great payday. Um, opportunity there because slot amount for that pick is $1.3 million. Um, and that's just a slot amount. Who knows if he'll get a little bit above that, but uh, he goes off the board there in the second round to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and then from there, just a, really quiet. I think you and I were both surprised that Jalen Flores um, wasn't drafted, but you hear what his price might've been. Um, it was, you know, first round type of money. It sounded like, um, yep. and he's, he stuck to it. Um, you know, Jarrett Curtis is a guy that I know had a ton of phone calls, but another guy that's st that stuck to his price. I'm sure Jared Thomas was kind of in that same boat as well. Chase Shores, Jason Valier kind of go down the list there. Um, but, you know, we got down to the point where uh, Brenner Cox is a guy I tweeted out. And I was like, there are a couple wild cards for me in this draft. Griffin Herring, because mm -hmm. his stuff was so strong to end the year. And I'd heard that he was throwing for some pro teams down the stretch there. And then Brenner Cox, because he's just so athletic and so toolsy and it's so fast. And you kind of look at the scouting grade, it's like, yeah, the run, yeah, the arm, the athleticism, the defense. And if you dream on that hitting and you believe in it, it's a guy that if you're kind of one of those more traditional organizations that kind of more old school scouting than computer model, you might take a chance on him. And the Washington Nationals did um, in the fourth round, taking a chance on him. And then from there, um, Travis Sanders, 14th round to the Boston Red Sox. I think it, that's a really tough sign. Maybe you just take a chance and uh, hope for a miracle to happen. I'd be shocked if he didn't end up at Texas Tech. Um, and then DeAndre Jones, an outfielder from Lutheran South Academy, number 36 on our list, signed to Kansas State, uh, went in the 17th round, I think, to the Red Sox. I'd heard, I'd heard some people thought that he might be signable during the year. Um, a guy that really strong, I think is, is, he's the guy that at one point back squatted 515 pounds, uh, which shows in his swing. He had a ton of homers this year. I think, eight, I think he had eight or nine homers for Lutheran South Academy performed well in some of our stuff, played for that Houston athletics gold organization, um, in the Houston area, but, um, otherwise drew a, a pretty quiet draft for state of Texas guys from the high school side, but that's, that's just kind of what we expected with this group. Yeah, well, you know, going back into it, it, it it's really funny because I, I don't think a lot of people fully grasp how the draft works when it comes to baseball because it's it's a lot different from the football draft because it's a lot less about just the talent. Right. Um, you've got to worry about the money factor, the slotting, the bonus pools in the top 10 rounds. And then once you clear that top 10 rounds, then they just kind of become flyers mm -hmm. um, because they're not going to be penalized if they don't sign one of those draft picks after the, after the 10th round. 
So you start seeing some guys that talent wise were probably called a lot earlier in the draft to see if they would take X amount. And yes. it, they either may not have been sure or the answer was no. So then you just take them down the road and see if something pans out and something changes with um, with some money that you may have uh, tied up or thought you had tied up in the top 10 rounds. But it is funny. It's not a it, it's a very confusing system um, and there's some definite strategy to it. And every team operates differently when it comes to that. So, you know, I think what kind of happened this year, there was a clear number one and number two, Jackson holiday and uh, drew Jones. You're right. um, and then you saw the Rangers uh, take uh, Kumar rocker and save a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And that was and the Rangers were a team that didn't have a second and third round draft pick, but they had a lot of le- money left over to go back and get the uh, was uh, Porter, um, the kid Rock that was Porter. the Clem, yeah, the Clemson commit. And so it, it there's a huge strategy to it. And, and a lot of times, you know, it, if you look and say, well, I thought this guy was better than that round. Yeah, he may have been, um, but different things are come into play for different organizations and the drafts are run completely different, but you know, it is interesting to see. I went through and made a list of all the guys that were either drafted from Texas schools or were from Texas that were drafted. And it's wild. Like apparently the Washington nationals believe in the state of Texas <laughs> in a big, big way. Cause they, they drafted Brenner Cox. They drafted Jared McKenzie, Riley Cornelio from, uh, from TCU, Murphy Staley in the 10th round. And so they had a, they have a strong belief in their area scout down this way. And, um, you know, it's funny to see some teams just the way they draft. It's really interesting to watch, but you know, you you, going back to guys like Jalen Flores, Jared Thomas, like those guys were turning down money all throughout the day. Yes. Um, you know, and, and just the way it works is, you know, these guys and, and their representation, a lot of times are sitting by the phone and they're getting asked, Hey, would will you sign for this? Will you sign for this? Will you sign for this? And so, I mean, there were guys getting calls, you know, in the second round, um, you know, to see if they would take a deal, you know, Mm -hmm. to save some money and free up some more money for guys later in the, later in the draft. But it's, it's always an interesting process. It's a really frustrating process. You see a lot of guys go late that should have gone earlier. You see a lot of guys that don't get drafted that realistically should have been drafted Mm -hmm. uh, from a talent and a production standpoint. Um, and then there's some teams that draft almost completely off potential yeah. and you see some or guys that you kind of, yeah. And you kind of shake your head and you're like, really? Like, look at this guy's numbers compared to this. Like, I mean, a perfect example is Ivan Melendez had one of the best offensive college seasons in history mm-hmm. um, and goes 42nd yeah. to Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, but yeah, it, it's always interesting to see how it works. It's a, it's not as simple as people think. It's not a, you know, talent and need thing like the NFL draft typically yeah. is. So, um, you know, if it, it could be really frustrating if you're sitting there following at home, if you don't really know how it works, but, um, yeah, it, like I said, it's the draft is one of those things that you and I have always been interested in pretty much no matter what the sport is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what were some of your favorite picks? Ah. Uh... I appreciate it. You know, the Orioles with that, with that front office, you know, the Astros background and, and just, they have, they've had a tendency in past to um, cut a deal with a guy and kind of load up later on and things like that. And I mean, believe it or not, Carlos Correa was kind of technically that sort of thing. Cause Byron Buxton yep. was a consensus yep. number one yep. overall prospect. They were close, but Buxton was a yep. consensus number one. And that allowed the Astros to draft Lance McCullers and so on and so forth. You kind of, um, you've probably heard the story before, but I really appreciate that the Orioles were like, you know what? We're going to draft the guy that we think is the number one overall player. Um, and we're going to pay him. Cause I don't think yeah. Jackson holiday is going to take a deal. Not with um, Scott Boris as his agent. Exactly. Um, exactly. So they're probably sitting there weighing Jackson Holiday or Drew Jones. At the end of the day, they probably thought, you know, Jackson Holiday clearly to them was, was their number one prospect. I don't think you could go wrong with either one of those guys. It's crazy that, like, Jackson's still a baby. Like, he's like – it's a young face, you know? I mean, he's going to be a well, monster. Hey, and spe- you, you've seen the, of- letter, the little brother, he's got a chance too. Yeah, speaking of um, speaking of Jackson Holiday, 
I can uh, point to my scouting roots going back to my freshman year of college um, when Jackson's grandfather was our pitching coach at Texas. Mm -hmm. And we were in Omaha at the World Series. And he was about two, must have been two years old at the time. Um, And he was terrorizing any and everybody walking through those, through that lobby of our hotel because he had his little tee and carrying around his little uh, bat and ball and was just pelting poor, like innocent bystanders with balls throughout, (laughs) throughout the, throughout the week. Um, And I was, I remember thinking, I was like, man, this kid's going to be a first rounder. And sure sure enough, enough, sometimes it's that, sometimes you know that early. I under, I underestimated a little bit. I said, I should have said the first pick in the draft, but yeah. I'm going to go ahead and call my shot for Taz Tulowitzki uh, in 10 years to be a, uh, to be a, fir- a top 10 pick. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be a little more specific, but I'll call Taz a top 10 pick in the next 10 years. But um, it, well, I mean, yeah, just look at fun. a lot of these names in the draft. I mean, Jackson holiday, drew Jones, um, Justin Crawford, like you go down the list and I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch, but you know, Brooks Lee's dad was his college coach. Like we're seeing now, like betting on the bloodlines is a smart thing to do. Just look at the guys in the pro ranks right now as well. So there's something about, it's something Dan O'Dowd talked a lot about on the MLB network broadcast. There's just something about, um, and Tony Vitello too, from Tennessee brought this up like being around the game that long when you're that young and just, you just see and hear and learn what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to sound like. Um, And I I just don't think it's a coincidence that we see all these guys kind of come up through there that have those baseball bloodline connections and, you know, end up having a lot of success. And I think most of it is, is the mental side. It's not just the tools. And having right. that those genes, it's it's the mental side. Well, just just understanding the life in general. Yeah, uh, you know, and and you you're that's the biggest a, challenge for these guys is is the jump in maturity in life. You right. know, at the you're next gonna, level, you're gonna have um, you're gonna have an idea of how it works. Um, you're gonna understand how the minor leagues work, how the big leagues work, the grind and the day to day part of it. And you know, I'm imagine that you're gonna have a a dad that's going to be passing along some wisdom when it mm-hmm. comes to how to combat that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've, I've been around Jackson some, and I mean, he, you know, he just, he gets it, he knows what he's in for. And, and, and that's another part of it. Some people just don't, you know, and it takes, it's a, it's a much greater learning curve for those guys that really have to figure out, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to be gone all the time. Like I need to make sure that I have a, a, a partner, a wife that understands this. Because if you don't, you know, as well as anyone, like if, if mama's not happy, then nobody's happy. And that's just something that, you know, it's, it's, that's the part that's no fun, uh, fun about that job for a lot of people. Um, but you know, it's, if you have a wife that understands it's, it's going to make it a lot easier. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure some of these guys go through their, um, go through their early parts of their life, you know, either not choosing to tie themselves down because they know what that's going to be like mm-hmm. or choosing somebody that is going to understand that and mm-hmm. realize that that's going to be their life for a, a pretty big chunk of, of years, you know, depending yeah. upon how long they play, obviously. But yeah, I mean, the draft's always an exciting time. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot, another kick up in portal activity, I think. Oh um, boy. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're going to see, you know, some people that show up to school, um, and some colleges are going to be, are that weren't expected to be there. And some colleges are going to be over promised on some of the money. Um, and you're going to see some movement there. You're going to see guys that get cut loose, whether it's current guys or incoming guys, um, because of it. And this is the no fun part of our sport. And going back to what you mentioned earlier, hopefully there's an uptick in the scholarship yeah. stuff coming down the pike in over the next couple of years, but yeah, these next couple of weeks are, are no fun for, for a lot of the coaching staffs. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about with the recruiting process a lot is really understanding what you're getting yourself into with mm-hmm. some of these programs. Um, because there are quite a few of them that have a history of oversigning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week is these next couple of weeks are going to be unpleasant for some kids that are involved with those programs. And, you know, to an extent, it's just part of it and it happens sometimes, 
um, and it's out of your control. But, you know, I, I would always caution people and, and, um, and advise them to educate themselves on the programs that do that. And yeah. if you go into it, knowing that that's a real possibility and it happens, and then it's a different, a different world. But if you are completely blindsided by the fact that you're the rug may get pulled out from under you by some of these schools who have a long history of, of treating their rosters and the movement, the way that they do, it's just something that, you know, it sucks bottom line. That's, that's just the way it is sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, but there's a lot of teams that just operate in a way that, um, you know, isn't very forthright, but if, yeah. and if you know that going into it, that's one thing, but if you don't, because you haven't done the homework, then you might feel blindsided at this point for your son or whoever, whatever family member, or maybe it's you, if you're the kid. Um, but you know, just something to be thinking about when you're, when you're going through the recruiting process for those out there that listen, that, you know, either are going through it or going to be going through it or have siblings or children that are going to be going through it. Uh, It's just something I always advise that you look into a little bit and, you know, at least be able to ask the question when you go on some of these visits and, you know, have an idea of, you know, what is in front of you. Yeah. uh, Position wise in the grades above you, what else is in your class? Um, You know, and the politics play into it too. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're from out of state and you're, you know, part of an organization that doesn't have a lot of ties to a region or a specific team. Um, you may be on the chopping block, even if you're better than somebody else in the class. Um, so, you know, just, uh, just another thing to factor in when you're going through the recruiting process. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of kids that are more than willing to compete, you know, it's not always about that. And, you know, sometimes that opportunity just gets taken away from you because of numbers and, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that can be a really scary time for a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah, it can. And if you're in that boat, um, call one of your local standout JUCO programs, because trust me, um, they'll they'll take good care of you, and um, they've probably got an opportunity for you. You know, um, I, I just – some of those guys that, you know, can be cut loose from D1s or, or you know, for the numbers and things like that, like – um, you know, there are some JUCO programs around, and as we always say, junior college baseball in Texas is really, really, really good. Really, so good. guys drafted from JUCOs this year. See, so guys drafted from JUCOs every year, or go to major D ones, or whatever it is. So, um, I know those guys um, kind of plan for this type of situation um, and thing, and have that sort of flexibility. A guy I didn't mention when we were talking about the guys drafted from Texas, um, Zane Petty, right-handed pitcher from Corsicana. I saw him in the uh, Texas high school coaches all-star game at the end. And uh, it was a guy I wish I'd seen more of during the year. Um, Really quick arm, Um, athletic, uh, very quick arm. I saw him up to 92. I'd heard of reports of him being up to 94. He was a Texas tech signee. He was a guy that was in our just missed final section um, that was in the consideration there for the 55. Probably a guy that if I would have seen more of, would have been on the list because I'm a big fan of athletic guys with really quick arms and loose arms. And that's, that's who he is. So it wasn't surprised to see the Brewers take a shot on him there um, in in the 13th round, but, you know, going back to to Melendez, I, I, I've gotten a lot of questions, you know, because we have Texas ties and people ask us and they're kind of scratching their head. They might not know about the draft or the process or whatever. Like how does this guy last to where he lasted 43rd overall pick, um in that what's that what do they call it now the compensatory round or, or whatever compensation round i forget what it is it's a c word um, competitive, competitive balance whatever it is it's the round the point between the first and second rounds which is still a really good spot so when a lot of things go into play here when, when teams are drafting players um first is is position he, he was he was second round he was second was he round. second round was that second? fourth okay. pick fourth pick of the second round yeah Right yeah, behind right. or okay. two picks behind two yeah. picks behind cutter coffee, Texas. Yes. Yeah. California. Yeah. Um, and slot projected slot amount there for, for Melendez, a spot is $1.82 million. So um, great for him. Went to school, bet on himself, produced, had an awesome season, went back to Omaha. I mean, you couldn't have, you know, besides winning the national championship, you couldn't really write a better script for the guy. Um, so, you know, how, how does a guy with that sort of, production at that level golden spikes winner incredible season how does he fall to the spot uh there's a few reasons why and, and some of them don't really do with talent um one is position scarcity 
you know, it's, it's easier to find a power hitting first baseman type than it is to find somebody that can actually play shortstop and maybe hit play center field and hit catch and hit or a front of the rotation type of arm. Um, it, it's just, it's harder to find those types of players. And it is a guy that you can stick at first base and can potentially mask. Cause if you think about it, well, we've got this guy that can really hit and he plays third, maybe he doesn't play third that well. We'll put him at first, or maybe he can't play the outfield that well. He grows out of it. We'll put him at first. So he had, he kind of had that thing working against him. Um, secondly too, is, is age is unfortunately a part of the process. Um, he's going to be 23 years old during his first full pro season next year. So he's going to be older than a lot of his competition early on in his professional career. If he makes the big leagues on a typical trajectory, kind of similar to Cody Clemens, who just cracked the big leagues at age 26, that's kind of the age that he would make it there. So obviously teams are going to, you know, you mentioned earlier, Drew, that the potential, a lot of teams are drafting on potential. They're looking at the, the 18-year-old high school player or the, the 20-year-old college player that was a draft-eligible sophomore or whatever it is, those guys and projections and computer models and things like that are going to rate a little bit higher than the guy that's you know 22 years old that's going to be 23 years old um, in the pro ranks. So um, that's just kind of how a guy like that could actually slip. I say slip. I mean, he's still the 43rd overall pick, but – that's how a guy like that, that's the difference often between being a first-round pick um, like a Jacob Berry. I don't think Ivan Melendez's bat and power are that different um, than Jacob Berry's or maybe some other guys that might have been drafted ahead of him. Now, some people are kind of looking at the Rays drafting that big power-hitting first baseman. And they're like, why, why, how does that guy go ahead of Ivan Melendez? Well, I, I think he's 17 or 18 years old. You know, you're, you're betting on – you know, what it's going to look like when he's 20 and 21. And maybe he debuts when he's 22 or 23 or 24 years old, as opposed to Melendez, where he's going to be a little bit older when he debuts. So those are just the types of things that really go into this process. Um, you know, just there's there's teams that really draft from the computer models. You can kind of get a feel for those teams. You know, Cleveland's been a team that kind of does that. There are teams that just don't really pay attention to the model and kind of do their own thing. I think the best teams are the teams that blend both. The scouting with the model, does it match up? Uh, is one different from the other and why? And, and that sort of thing. So, um, but it's it's a fascinating process. Um, I, I think, I don't know if you agree with me, Drew, but as this was all unfolding and I'm seeing so many college players taking it in a year where we know that college pitching is down, um, so many college players are being taken. So many top high school players are pricing themselves to college. I think recruiting is more important now than it ever has been before. Because every time I would, I would post a commitment on Orange Bloods about a, you know, a 2025. Let's use Will Hill for an example. He just, he just recruited to, uh, committed to Texas. Standout guy from Summer Creek High School. Played, started on varsity as a freshman. I saw him there in the high school season he was phenomenal. I just like, yeah. I was like, wow, this guy's got a real chance. Saw him this summer uh, with the Texas Senators team playing a, up an age level um, in our Pudge uh, Rodriguez World Classic. Um, coached by former Longhorn and a guy that got drafted, Nick De Santiago, who's doing a really great job with that group. And it's just one of those guys you watch for an inning, you stand beside him, you watch in the bat. It's like, yeah, that's a take. Um, but you post that on Orange Bloods, everybody's reaction, oh, he's going to go pro. Oh, he's never going to make it to campus. And it used to be, yeah, that was the case. You know, years yeah. and years ago, I was remembering that class when I had Spencer Edwards and, and all those guys. And it's like, yeah, those guys typically would go pro then. Mm -hmm. Now we're starting to see that if you're not a slam dunk first rounder, you're starting to see some of these guys show up to school. Um, right. I, I think it's super exciting for college baseball, but I also think too, it's more important on the recruiting side now that's ever been because there's becoming more, the chances are increasing that these guys are actually going to show up to your college program because of things like NIL, because these guys are learning that they can bet on themselves and how much pro teams draft in the college ranks. And maybe there's more scholarship money on the horizon. Some of these pro or excuse me, some of these college programs have facilities and development structures on par or better than some pro organizations. 
Um, well, Wes Johnson just left the Twins to go to LSU to be their pitching coach, you know, and is going to make more money there than he was as an MLB pitching coach. And I just think that it's it's we're going to see a lot of these high school guys now that it used to be the top five round guys. A lot of them would somehow get signed somehow. And now we're seeing these guys that, I, you know, I had a second and third round grade on Jalen Flores and Jarrett Curtis and, you know, a third round grade on Jared Thomas and Chase Shores kind of Jace Lavalier kind of in those boats. All those guys are going to end up at school now. And that's what well, that's different than it was years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things I think that go into it. Number one, the, the data, um, you know, that's causing a lot of people to wait and want more information so that, you know, they're a little bit more comfortable taking some of the older guys that have yeah. proven it for a little bit longer. Um, the, uh, the minor leagues condensing quite a bit. So having less teams and less levels mm -hmm. in some organizations, uh, I think plays a factor into it because, you know, now you're not, you're not necessarily having, you know, the, the, some of the lower levels that you did before to where a kid can really just get thrown out there and learn how to play. Now they're going into it against a lot older guys. And yeah. if they never get off the ground, they may never, they ne never turn into anything. Um, so I think that's probably factoring into it quite a bit. Some too. Um, mm -hmm. But from the college side, the, the, um, the development is getting better. I mean, there's a lot more money being put into it. Uh, I think it'll continue to ramp up too, as they, uh, continue to add coaches and support staff, which I think is going to continue to happen over the next few years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, th there's something to be said for consistency of coaching. You know, I mean, that when Skip was the pitching coach at Texas, that was always our message to kids is like, hey, do you want to go deal with another, like a different coach, pitching coach every six to 12 months? Yeah. Or do you want this same guy who cares about nothing but these 10 guys on his pitching staff and for three years, you know, and I know that that was a huge sell to people. And I know that there's a lot of coaches like that out there right now that, you know, just the consistency and the development of being in the same program for three years is a lot more can be a lot more valuable and needed for some kids. Um, because, you know, I think it's a, it's a common misunderstanding that, you know, there are plenty of good coaches in the college ranks and in the professional ranks, but there are quite a few organizations that do not do a good job professionally. Right. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some organizations that have different philosophies at different levels, depending upon the coach. Some of them are better than it edit than others where they have a really consistent plan throughout the entire organization. Um, and, and I think it's a common misnomer that, you know, people just assume that professional coaching is better than college coaching because that's definitely not always the case. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you see it with the draft. Some teams are successful with the draft because they have a good scouting department. Mm -hmm. Some teams are, aren't paying attention to the right things and not adding the right type of players into their organization. It's just like recruiting. Yeah. Um, it's a crapshoot, really, all of it. I mean, you know, another trend that we saw this year is, I, I mean, I counted a handful of kids that uh, were drafted that didn't even pitch this year. Uh, or only pitched a little bit because they got hurt yeah. and have just had Tommy John and probably won't be able to throw until next season at the earliest. Um, you saw that with Connor Prelip. You're going to see that with Cole Phillips. You're going to see, I mean, another Dylan big pick. Go, I thought Peyton Pelley. Yeah. Yep. So guys like that. And then the other one um, was another pick that I really liked for Arizona uh, with Landon Sims. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, I think your best bet is to go into it, assuming that you go to college and if the money works out and you get drafted, great, have that as a, as a really good fallback option, if the money makes sense. Uh, but I think if you go into it, expecting to get drafted, I think you're going to put yourself in a bad spot and maybe miss some of the stuff that you should be paying attention to. Um, so I think that that's just something that families should be concerned with and thinking about when they're going through that recruiting process. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said earlier, I mean, it's to me, it's going to be fascinating because this last college world series to me was the most physically mature college world series I've ever seen. Just, yeah. there were so many old guys yeah. and that's typically how you win right now. It's how you win in college basketball. It's how you're winning yeah. in, 
in college uh, college baseball and look at what football programs like Baylor did in, in uh, you know, and just having a ton of old guys and just were right. really good. So right. if you're a high school guy, you've got to understand, Hey, you're not guaranteed anything when you show up. That's, that's typically the case always has been the case in most places. B, you know, you got to pay attention to how active some of these respective programs are in the portal and how that directly relates to you. Um, yeah. Might not matter at all. Might matter a lot because um, ultimately like you want to compete and you want to, you know, earn your spot and all those sorts of things. But uh, you do have a clock and that mm-hmm. clock starts ticking and ticking and ticking. And at some point you've, you've got to play um, if you want to reach the next level. So there, there's all sorts of factors that, that go into it, but it was, it's just a fascinating draft because I, I think it told us so much about where, where the sport is going on the college side. Uh, the pro ranks have been heading this way for a while with drafting more college guys. And look, I can't blame him. You brought up the data thing. Like, is it easier to scout the junior in college that plays in the big 12 and you've got all of his track man data and all this synergy stuff and, and all his at bats. Is it easier to scout that guy or the prep guy from Corpus Christi who might see 85 miles an hour, three times during the high school season. Of course, right. it's easier to, you're going to have way less risk with the college guy. Cause you're going to know way more about him. You're going to be able to scout him more. But I think we're going to see some organizations over time start to kind of zig while everybody else is zagging, you know, and kind of start veering back towards the prep guys and really doing their homework and scouting really aggressively. I think the Padres are kind of um, one of those types of teams, you know, the the Rays have quietly taken some some high school guys um, in the very, very early rounds. The Red Sox took another high school infielder from California in the first round after taking – uh, what's his name? God, Marcelo Meyer last year, taking Mikey Romero this year and that sort of thing. So um, it's just all super fascinating. But I think I, I think we both agree that college baseball is benefiting, benefiting from this. Um, right. It's going to be no more doubt. talented. There's going to be more investment in it. I think it's getting closer to getting a more television money, which could be, you know, just more scholarships in the future, more investment, whatever it is. Um, I, I think it's, it's good for college baseball, but, um, you know, just a really fascinating draft. One guy I, I, I was a little surprised lasted to 18 was Cam Collier. Um, the Juco yeah. um, player from Chippewa college, son of Lou Collier who played in the big leagues. Um, I think he's 17 years. He was born in, uh, he's born in 2004. <laughs> he hasn't turned 18. Yet. When, when we graduated high school. Yeah, right. We graduated high school. Uh, Cam Collier was born. Oh my gosh. How old are we? But um graduated early to go play in a juco played in the cape for a little bit i was a little surprised you know that he lasted to um to 18 so um maybe that's got a potential to be a value there but um yeah it's 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 just fascinating to see how some of these organizations operate and, and like you said like we reach a point i think it, it's probably like the second or third round where signability matters more than talent because they're calling these kids like hey will you sign for this hey will you sign for this if the answer is mm-hmm. no moving on to the next guy. Like they're not going to draft anybody who's not going to sign. So um, that's how you sometimes see all these talented guys show up to college because they had a price and, and uh, for whatever reason that that price wasn't met um, and they're going to go to school and, and see if they can earn it there. But um, I could talk about this sort of stuff for hours, but it's uh, super, super interesting. Uh, you got anything more in the draft or when you, you kind of want to move to some of those um, some of those commitments and commu- uh, recruiting stuff that have happened recently in the high school ranks. Yeah, let's go to the, let's go to the commitments um, because, like you said, we've we've seen quite a few. So let's move on to that. Yeah, well, I mentioned Will Hill, uh, 2025, um, committing to Texas from Summer Creek. Um, I don't think we've talked about Cooper Rummel um, since we were we were on the podcast. A guy that, uh, from my neck of the woods, kind of in Dripping Springs, another one of those Texas Senators guys. I think he was up to 89 miles an hour at at the Pudge. Uh, mm-hmm. physical guy for his size, uh, yeah. imposing presence on the mound. Uh, it's swing and miss stuff right now, power stuff. Uh, he's got an opportunity to really be a big-time power arm in that 2025 class um, from Texas. But uh, I know I'm probably forgetting in some of the 25. Were there any other 2025s that really um, – I feel like the Longhorns and a couple other programs have been pretty active in the 2025 range lately. 
Yeah, there, there's been some out of state ones, um, I think, from the, for Texas. But Cooper Rummel is a kid that, you know, in the backyard, um, kid that grew up a Texas fan. And, you know, if you're Texas, keeping him home is a big deal. Um, and so that was a big get. You know, another guy on that Texas Senators team, like you said, with Nick DeSantiago's uh, group. Um, so he, I mean, that, that team was fun to watch. They also have Texas commit Ed small. Um, so they've done a good job. I mean, I, I feel like tech has done a good job recently, uh, getting Ryan Jones, um, quite got Jackson, the Jackson Burns, Gavin Jones, Gavin Jones, Gavin Jones, Uh, who's a, uh, I mean, his video from one of our events, um, I think he struck out seven guys in two and two thirds. (laughs) Yep. He yep. was really good. I made the area code team. So he was exceptional and, and that sort of thing. They've, they've been red hot in the trail, both in the 2024 class and 2023. Did we mention Lucas Moore's commitment to, uh, no, we didn't. UTSA no, Antonio my guy, Lucas Moore, yep. uh, committed to UTSA. UTSA has been hot. They got him and, um, Barrett Johnson, a two-way player from San Antonio Johnson. I saw a couple of yep. times in the high school season. I like him more as a hitter, but, um, the guy that, <laughs> He shut down Lake Travis in the playoffs, really competed well on the mound there. But uh, Lucas Moore is – I went to go see Zach Royce, who coincidentally is a UTSA signee, and uh, they were playing Katie, and um, Lucas Moore is opposing him. And, like, he comes out throwing, you know, 87, 88, like, projection, quick arm. I'm thinking, who's this guy? Uh, starts spinning a big-time hook and, and throws, like, a change-up that kind of has, like, split-like action to it. He showed me the grip. It's a really unique grip. Um, and I was like, wow, this guy is, like, one of the rare under-the-radar guys that's just throwing a t- – he was Katie's best pitcher last year. Um, yeah. So he threw a complete game shutout um, in the Mattingly and then committed to UTSA a couple of days after that. A great get for them. Um, Barrett Johnson, really, another really solid get for them. Um, those guys do their homework, man. They get out Jackson, and see guys. Jackson Blank. Jackson, Jackson Blank, Blank to Rice. Rice. Yeah, just committed to Rice yesterday. Um, perfect fit between big-time academic guy and talent in the Rice program. Uh, goes to Magnolia West. He's part of that rotation there with – with uh, Elwinger, who's committed to DBU in the 2023 class as well. Um, good luck beating those guys next year. That's a tough rotation to deal with. Uh, we've seen him up to 92 miles an hour recently in the Mattingly. Flashed a really intriguing overhand curveball. I think he's on pace to be like the valedictorian of his high school. So checks all the boxes there. I'm sure that, that Rice was looking for him. I know they've got to be thrilled um, to get him in the mix there. Um, and then yeah. on the non-commitment side, but kind of some news, newsworthy thing, um, you know, Jack Bell, a guy that we really, really like, um, you know, decommitted from, from Arizona State. Um, as, uh, as John Rothstein on, in college basketball and Jeff Goodman say when a guy enters the portal, uh, long line for this guy. Uh, there are yeah. going to be uh, uh, all sorts of D1 programs lining up uh, to try to, uh, to gain a commitment from Jack Bell. And I think that he's one of those guys that like I could see him in the future being one of those guys gets heavily scouted and is kind of on that line between he could go pro to college. So whoever lands him, it's going to be a massive, massive get because he was really good um, in the Manning league. Yeah. And talk going back to those, um, those out of state commitments for Texas that I uh, mentioned one of them um, is the Augie Garrido connection from Fullerton. Um, okay. Brady Murrieta um, is a, let's see, I think he's a 2025 catcher. Um, his dad was the ops guy at, uh, at Fullerton. Um, so he's, he's got that connection. And then, oh, I'm sorry, he's a 26th place wow. for the Canes, Brady Murrieta. But I know his dad. I dealt with him some when we were, uh, when Fullerton came to town. Jason Murrieta is his name. And then a candidate for either, let's call it best nickname, maybe. Um, but Texas got a commitment from Maddox Mansoor, um, who is out of, let's see where he is. He's out of East Cobb. Uh, in the East Cobb program, he his name is Maddox, but he goes by Mad Hacks Monster. Oh, okay. So that's that's how he's known. But this guy is a monster. Um, he is a big physical kid for that age. Uh, can really run, really strong. Um, just I think he's a guy that's gonna really hit at some point. Um, so they were excited to get him. I know, but Mad Hacks Monster. 
committed to Texas. So that was, that was a big get for the horns. Yeah, that's uh that's, that's quite the name for sure. And uh, one guy I left off on the tech list, um, Kendall Johnson. Um, yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Looking at some of his video that popped up on our five tool page. He's got a chance to be a, uh, from little Elm. Um, yep. He's got a chance to be a really big time hitter from the left side there. So um, yeah, you're starting to see some moving and shaking happening on the commitment side and um, starting to see some, you know, new staffs get in there and, um, kind of what their philosophy is and get on the trail and things like that. I know there's a couple of, of 2023s recently on the uncommitted side that um, Landon Bowden is a kid that we both are really, really high on left-handed pitcher um, from East Texas. The high school is escaping me right now. Hall, is he a Hallsville guy? I think he's a Hallsville guy. Um, yes. Uh, really like him. Like long time track record of performance um really competitive guy um that i i think is one of the better left-handed pitchers in the state um that's that's got a chance there so uh yeah we just wanted to incorporate each each episode now just kind of highlight some of the recruiting news that's been going on and in the area and kind of shine a light on some of those kids that are making their college commitments and um you know just some of these programs that a lot of these programs that we're seeing out about um just at our events and, and really putting in the work and and grinding and um you know we'll see what happens with, with some of these um some of these 2022s um as people try to make these numbers work and uh, a lot of these guys like did AM like lose a single guy from their signing class i don't i don't think they did they did not they did not I mean, not, not the high school side yeah they had yeah a, uh, and i know lsu good draft yeah lsu ended up getting a bunch of guys and um i think texas tech like we'll see what happens with zane petty but I think they're going to end up getting a bunch of their guys. So tip, I used to look, we used to look at those signing lists and like, okay, not coming, not coming, not coming, not coming, not coming. Yeah. These guys 50, 50 or whatever. Now it's like not coming 50, 50, 50, 50. Yeah. You're going to get all these guys. So it's 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 exciting for us because I feel like you get to see, you know, the top guys are going to go pro, but a lot of these other guys are going to go, you know, see what they can do at the college level. Well, it's something that I know Jim Schlossinger has always been good at this. He's always been really good with being connected to the incoming recruits um, and just being in touch with them, having a good relationship with them and making them feel and understand what they are going to be doing on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. and making them excited about the program they're about to be in. And a lot of times that might be all it takes to make a kid, um, to make a kid not want to even consider signing or, yeah. or being willing to turn down a decent amount of money. You know, that, that mid range money that, you know, that let's call them quote unquote second tier of high school players um, that, you know, those are the guys that turn out to be all Americans, not your no, not, not, not talking about the no brainer guys that are going to be the first, you know, top 10 picks. I'm talking about that next tier. Who's going to have to turn down a decent amount of money to go to school mm-hmm. Um, getting those guys on campus can change your program. And, yep. and, and Jim Schlossnagel has always been good at it. Just thinking back through some of the guys that he was able to talk in to go into school from TCU. Um, and then, you know, I guess Kirk carried on that tradition, Kirk Sarlus, the head coach at TCU now, um, by getting Antoine Silva to remove his name from the draft. Um, and just, you know, not even entertain the idea as the draft came I down. I forgot about so, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's just it, the, the coaches that are good at that really serve their program well because you get one, two, three game changers over the course of a couple of years, and it can completely change the trajectory of your program. Um, and, you know, that's clearly what Jim Schlossnagel has done in a short amount of time at A&M already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. It's uh, those, those are the guys. You nail those guys in your recruiting class or even just a, a few of them. Um, and like you said, I mean, just the, the benefits are just so, so, so substantial, you know, especially a guy like Anthony Silva that I think has got a lot of kind of leadership about him as well. Jared Thomas kind of in that same boat um, going to Texas. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I know those college coaches, um, they might be, some of them might be like, um, Zach Galifianakis character in the hangover when he's at the blackjack table and the numbers are kind of all going around and it's like you might need to uh, use some of that budget on an accountant to figure out how this is going to work but it's a there are worse problems to have for sure um, when you're just yeah. f- figuring out like what to do with with all of your incoming talent there so 
Um, well, that'll wrap us up for today, episode 74 in the books. Thanks for tuning in and listening. We covered um, some of the academic showcase stuff yesterday at St. Edwards University. Uh, again, you can go to fi- at 5 Tool GPA on Twitter to check out some of those guys, kind of the standout players um, from the event there. We talked um, at length about the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, probably could spend another two hours doing that. And just we wanted uh, each episode now and, and shout out to our guy Brooks Van Landingham for suggesting the idea of, uh, of kind of highlighting some of the recent news and, and commitments and things like that on the recruiting side, because uh, um, it happens fast and furious sometimes. And um, I, I feel like you can kind of not, not many people don't really um, document it or keep up with it. Um, like, like, like we do, but they want to know what's going on. So that's something that we want to kind of start doing each episode and, and talk about some of those guys and, and give those guys a little, little love on, on the podcast for making their college decisions. But um, well, that about wraps us up. Um, I don't know when we'll record next, probably some week, some, um, next week at some point. Uh, we've got the Five Tool World Series upcoming and some more events. Uh, we've got we've always got events, uh, but the Five Tool World Series will be going on in the DFW area and at the Z, Z Sportsplex and Melissa um, and some other events as well. And I, I saw uh, um, Brooks jokingly send our group that, hey, the fall events are live. Um, so yes, before we know it, there'll be fall events happening in September when hopefully it's not 108 degrees outside. So, um, you got anything else? You good? You, you, uh, you doing more laundry today or I actually did some laundry and I'm trying to catch some, uh, dripping from our ceiling in a bucket. Um, yeah. Yeah. So not, not all that crazy about that. So we got, we got the uh, air conditioning guy coming out here oh, pretty soon. Man. So, well, as long as the yeah, AC keeps working. Yeah. As long as it keeps working. Cause I yeah. can imagine life right now with, without that for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go have another coffee and uh, hopefully just uh, it's, it's a hour by hour survival in the McComas house right now with, with the newborn and the toddler. But uh, until we talk to you all next time, stay cool. I hope your AC works. Um, and have a good weekend and take care.